Welcome, my friend, to the Minnesota Gardening Podcast. It is my honor to have you here with us today as we talk in this 13th episode all about microgreens. So you may, through the winter, be having an itch to grow something, to have your own food again like we had all summer long, and microgreens are a great way to go. So Matt Aarons from Spring Lake Farm is here with us today. It's in Prior Lake, Minnesota, not far from my house. And it's just, he's a really, really great interview and a lot of fun to talk with about microgreens. And he's just a wealth of knowledge. So you will learn a lot about microgreens. I know I did because I didn't know much to start with. And you can see all of the links and all the information we talked about at minnesotagardening.com slash 13. All right, today we are excited to have another great guest with us here. We're going to talk a lot about winter growing that we can do here in Minnesota. We have Matt Aarons from Spring Lake Farms, and we are going to talk about microgreens and growing things in greenhouses today. And Matt, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Happy to talk, especially on a day when it is about a blizzard outside. Yeah, it uh, started coming down here today. That is for sure. So perfect. Well, I am excited about the snow myself. So that is that is a good thing there. But we uh, as we, it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And uh, as we have snow, it leads us to thinking about things that we can do inside people's green thumbs growing here over the winter. And so you do a lot of work with indoor growing and microgreens and that kind of thing. Will you kind of introduce yourself and talk about what you what you do and and what you sell and and how that affects what people can do over the winter? Yeah. So my name's Matt Aarons. I run uh, Spring Lake Farm. It used to be Wild Roots in Prior Lake, Minnesota. And I am doing a series of microgreen growing. And then because we had to move plots this year to a new plot at Queen Bee's Lawn and Garden in Prior Lake, didn't get as much winter growing going, but did do a little bit, which I was happy about. But yeah, we're doing microgreens. Next year will be a lot of beet and carrot and root growing in the winter and then spinach, kale, things like that. I had some kale in the home garden that did really well along with some collard greens, but a lot of simple hacks to keep the greens going and the roots going all winter long. So, What kinds of things do you see people being successful growing indoors over the winter? I mean, microgreens are super easy. It doesn't take a lot of work. The trays, the soil, the investment is pretty minimal. And if you look at microgreens as a whole, you can produce pretty much on a seven to t- 10 days and get pretty much all different varieties of greens that you'd want. Everything from baby arugula to kale to sunflower to pea shoots to radish And so each one has a lot of different flavor. And I think that's one of the big things that's coming coming north, coming into a lot of different communities is this type of microgreen growing that can be done at home so people can get fresh greens. We don't want to constantly be getting supplied greens from California. Quality greens in the grocery store isn't all that great in the wintertime. And so there's simple ways like microgreens to be able to do that. Exactly. So let's let's walk everyone through specifically microgreens and how this works for people. So first, let's start like on the seed side of things. What what do people want to plant? Where do they get the seed? Is it just the same thing that we plant in our gardens in the spring and summer? Or is there something special we need or where what kind of seeds do people get and and where do they get it from? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I think there's two different things to look at. If you're a home gardener, 
you're typically buying in small seed packets. So there's not, you, your value isn't really that high per seed or the cost per packet is actually quite high. Whereas with microgreens, you actually start buying in bulk. So rather than buying, say, at your local garden center or buying some online at, say, a boutique store, you're typically buying from larger suppliers. And the main ones for microgreens are True Leaf Marketplace and Johnny's Seeds. So they sell seeds in bulk, which when you're seeding for microgreens, you're seeding thousands of seeds at a time, which means buying all those little individual packets is going to be very, very expensive. Whereas if you buy the big seed in bulk, whether it's 5, 10, 25 pound bags, it will last you a while and save you actually a lot of money on buying greens in the grocery store. We can produce about a pound of pea shoots, which lasts anywhere from 7 to 10 days in a Tupperware. And it'll cost you about $2.5 per 10 inch by 20 inch tray for whereas in the grocery store you'd be buying that for a lot so they can be very affordable and getting the seeds at the right places in bulk is also one of the best steps to do it so just so everyone has an understanding as to exactly what we're talking about with microgreens it's a it's a tray of soil and then it's just loaded with plants and you you grow them until they're what Three, I've never done it myself. So this is really informational for me as well. And I'm learning here with everybody else. You grow it till it's there a few inches tall and then you harvest them from that point. Am I, am I explaining that correctly? Just so people can get a mental picture. And I'll also put a bunch of photos because you do a great job on Instagram as well. I'll put a bunch of photos in the show notes for this episode at minnesotagardening.com slash 13. So is that kind of painting the picture for people as to what they can expect? Yeah. So it's actually, it's, it's quite honestly that simple. You take a twin 10 inch by 20 inch black tray. You put some potting soil in it. We use organic potting soil. You fill it with some soil and there are these, they're shallow trays and it's something that we can link in the show notes too. Shallow trays, you can do a home six inch by nine inch tray, but essentially it's just a tray with some dirt in it. You soak it with water, pour the seeds on and then mist them. And then you let them germinate under another tray, under blackout, so with no light, for about three days. And then after three days, you take the tray off and put it under a light. So whether that's a grow light, a shop LED light, it could be a T5 light, anything that's going to produce that type of light. And you're going to have these seeds just all of a sudden just shoot up. And so what's great is they'll come up, and once they start seeing the light, they really start changing from that yellow color that you'll see in the tray to their natural color, whether it's green, purple, depending on the seed variety. And within six to within really three to eight days after bringing them out of blackout, you'll have a whole tray to cut. And cutting is very simple. It's just taking a serrated knife or one of your sharp knives and cutting them off at above the soil level. Really, there's no need to wash them. Um, the only ones we wash are sunflowers, but that's because the seed holes get dirty. But for the most part, it's an easy cut, and you've got a load of greens ready to eat. So, yeah, it's honestly quite that easy, and there's not a lot of maintenance other than morning watering. So, And then what do you, what do, you do with them? How do you use them after you harvest? So <laughs> people ask me that all the time, and 
Quite honestly, I use them on everything. They each one has a different flavor. So sunflowers are a much nuttier, crunchy flavor um, and texture that I don't that I love throwing on tacos or to top different meat dishes. We I made a pecan crusted salmon and topped it with sunflower microgreens. And it added in that nutty, crunchy flavor of the pecan crust on the salmon. Radish microgreens have a very strong radish flavor, just not in a radish form. They are perfect if you like to add that peppery bite. And they go great on tacos. You could add them to um, salads to give it more flavor. That's something that a lot of my customers do is they'll actually take the radish and add it to salads with lettuce that they're buying from the grocery store because it's quite doesn't have a lot of flavor. The radish actually gives that flair okay. um, and that flavor. Pea shoots, what I love doing with pea shoots is throwing them in omelets or sauteing them. They're super delicious that way. They're tender. They taste pretty much like a snap pea, but just in a, like a green form in the kind of their small shoot form. And they're just, they're so versatile. And we've had I've given them to kids and the kids love the sunflowers. They love the pea shoots just because that texture is a lot more familiar to them. So, so yeah, they're very versatile, but they can be used all over the kitchen. Awesome. So think like alfalfa sprouts kind of thing, which every, pretty much everybody's familiar with that type of thing. Is that not something that happens as much anymore? What, uh, is that something that people grow on their own or where, where is that that I'm most familiar with from salad bars and that kind of thing? Yeah, I, I don't know. I ha I used to, I mean, I remember seeing alfalfa sprouts being a big one. The issue with alfalfa sprouts is the sprouts with how they're grown are more, the tendency to get mold on them is a lot higher. So I think oh, they're a little bad. bit harder to grow commercially. I don't see them as frequently anymore being marketed as what you do different types of microgreens. I don't know the exact reason for it, but I know microgreens are just an easier cut and the actual microgreen has a little bit more nutritional value than the sprout does. They're just kind of used for different purposes. So so you've mentioned multiple times about the nutritional value of microgreens. How does that factor into like a winter diet? Is this something that's extremely helpful to have or is it just add a little extra flavor to things or is it where where is it at on the nutritional categories of things yeah so what's what they've done in terms of studies is they is they found that basically a little handful of broccoli microgreens is equivalent to a whole head of broccoli in terms of nutritional value the reason being is that if you think about the life cycle of a plant when a plant grows and grows into a full mature plant like a big broccoli head it takes a lot of energy and resources from the soil to actually produce that nutritious head of broccoli. Whereas with microgreens, what happens is you have a soil base, so you've got some nutrients within that small soil base, but you're cutting that, you're cutting that seed at a much earlier stage, pretty much to the point where it's just developed root hairs to be able to uptake nutrients from the surrounding environment. So for the seed to actually survive and that plant to survive, it has to rely on all the nutrients that are packed in that seed, which is a lot. Seeds are super nutrient dense. If you look at how most Native American populations, indigenous populations, a lot of the diet consisted of seeds because they're very high in nutrients, vitamins, and all of that. They're very nutrient dense. And that's the same thing with microgreens. You're just getting a little bit more of the flavor out of them. So when it comes to, say, a Minnesota winter, 
we don't have typically a lot of the systems in place to do food storage. Like a lot of people don't can anymore. They don't preserve a lot of food. And so getting fresh food is a lot harder. Root cellars, all of that. And so where microgreens come into play is they are way more concentrated in micronutrients and vitamins and minerals than their larger forms when they're mature. And so you don't have to eat as many, but you're still getting a very large amount of nutrients. I was just doing a post. I just did a post the other day on pea shoot microgreens. And it's something like, I'm pulling up the stats again because I don't have them off the top of my head, but it's something crazy in terms of the nutritional value. It's like eight times more vitamin C and they've got a ton of cancer fighting different vitamin or minerals in there as well or antioxidants. And so they're just super nutritious and broccoli in particular has, I'm forgetting, it starts with an S, it sulfates something very, very long but it helps with actually getting rid of toxins in the body. And so micro, the microgreens are actually about 40 times more dense of that specific um, compound than if it would, were to be in a, a large broccoli head. How much soil would one want to put in the tray below them? And then do you bury them? Do you just lay them on top? And then why the, why the, cover the setting a tray over them. Why did, what does that do for it? Yep. So with the, so with the soil, the 10 by 20 inch trays that I use, they're about, I want to say a half inch tall. So you're really only putting in about a quarter inch of soil into that tray, which is about, let's see, how much is it? It's about, those, do you know those water jugs that you can get at the uh, restaurants or things like that that they pour from? Not a carafe, but the plastic ones, the round ones, they're about 32 ounces. Okay. It takes about one and a half of those, one and a half to two, depending on the seed variety that you're using. With peas and sunflowers, I use a little bit more soil, but it doesn't take a lot of soil. So for like a typical gardening bag, that's about a one point cubic five feet that you can buy anywhere. That will last me about 20 to 25 trays. And I supplement a little bit of peat moss just to add a little bit more drainage into it All right. and to save cost on it. But yeah, it's about for roughly a $20 to $25 bag. If you're buying the nice organic stuff and you don't want all the what are they? The gnats, the fungal gnats that come in any of the miracle yeah. grow stuff, which I don't recommend buying because the fungal gnats, if you have house plants, they will be all over your house. So the nicer soil and I can, it's, we, I use coast of Maine. That's some really good soil mix with no fungal gnats in it, which is great. So I use that about a quarter inch of soil into those trays and then you get the trays watered and then you put the seeds on top. And then you mist them with water. So you're just getting them wet. How, and how dense what you do? Sorry, man. How dense do you put the seeds yeah. down? Like how, how much? So it depends on the seed variety. So for say like red acre cabbage, you're using an ounce of seeds and then you're just spreading them with a cup, making sure that there's some distance in between each seeds. You don't have to be exact, but it's, it's just making sure that there's enough covering different areas. And then with like peas, you'd use about eight ounces. Sunflowers are about five ounces. Some of it is playing around with seeding density. Like broccoli, 
typically it's about one ounce. I've had to go back to about 0.8 ounces just because I was having a little bit more mold issues with broccoli to start out with, which that's now been taken care of just because of different changes in how I do that. So, cause that seed density, the denser the seeds are in that soil, the more likely that it'll kind of mat up and that you're not going to get enough airflow through the trays. Okay. So that matters if that makes sense. Yeah. And what does, what does the covering it do for us? Yeah. So the covering, what helps is it essentially, so like when you plant seeds in the ground, it's typically going in the dirt. So it's not getting that actual light. So you don't need light for seeds. What it does is it creates a much more humid environment that promotes higher germination rates. And by having some weight on top, it acts as like a top layer of soil so that seed knows where to send its roots and where to send the actual cotyledon and the stem. So it'll know to send its roots down when the pressure is coming down onto it. And then the rest of the plant will start shooting up. So you'll actually see the because of the density of the trays, you'll actually start to see these trays lift each other off of each other as they get at about day three, which is when you know to take the blackout off. Got it. So what haven't I asked you about microgreens that people should know in order to be successful in growing some? Sanitation of the trays is key, and then the growing environment is huge. So I was hopefully planning on doing larger scale out at some of the greenhouses that we have at the new spot. The problem is the humidity gets too high at night. So with high humidity with these trays, with high dense seeding, the chance for mold is higher. It's actually quite higher out there. So you're looking at an environment and then the temperature is much harder to regulate in that large of space. And so I'm actually growing them in my basement because the area where I'm growing sits at about a perfect 72 degrees with 30% humidity, which you want to sit anywhere between 70 to 75 degrees and about 30 to 45%. If you get too warm, that promotes fungal and mold development. And if you get too cold, that also promotes certain fungal diseases. And high humidity obviously doesn't help things dry out. So the growing environment is probably the most important and the basements work great. <laughs> Wasn't really expecting it to be the perfect environment and it has been. <laughs> so that's been, and it's super easy because I can just get up in the morning, check on it right when I wake up and I'm done. <laughs> so perfect. Well, that's good. Awesome. Well, Matt, we are bumping up against our end time here and I didn't prep you on this and I really should have. So I apologize for that, but we do a couple of like quick fire questions at the end of each podcast just to help people get to know folks a little better. Is that, uh, does that work for you since I, <laughs> I didn't even ask if that would be okay? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So first question is uh, what is your favorite food grown in Minnesota? I love carrots in the fall. They are super sweet and have so much flavor. Once it starts getting cold, carrots, the sugar complex changes. So they have a much sweeter taste to them. And there's nothing like a fresh garden carrot. Do you store your carrots? I haven't. I kind of eat them too fast. <laughs> Same here. Yeah, exactly. They are really, really tasty. I did a succession planting of carrots in the fall for the first time this year. And I was amazed at how well it worked. It was, it was really great. Second yeah, question. No, super easy. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so second question is, what is your favorite place to visit in Minnesota? Ooh, I've been loving up in the Finland area, up north of Duluth. I actually went up there for, other than going up to Wolfridge for elementary school, I went up there for the first time to see the University of Minnesota's extension program's geothermal greenhouse and got to meet a lot of really awesome people up there. So I've got some friends up there now in the growing space with the Organic Consumers Association and the Geothermal Greenhouse. So I tend to frequent there quite a bit to hike and go see what's new up there with what they're growing and all of that. That is on my list of people to invite on the podcast to talk about the the greenhouses that do on the North Shore. It's just amazing how much they produce up there. Oh, it's awesome. It's so I love I love the systems that they produce. So yeah, I mean, good for the University of Minnesota Extension to start kind of getting that rolling. And there's been a lot more around the state. And I actually have someone that you should talk to about the geothermal who's doing it on a pretty large scale, too. So Awesome. Yeah, we'll follow up on that for sure. And this next question is, what is essential reading for you? Ooh, I actually have a few books. I've got one on Growing Undercover by Nikki Jabor. She grows in Canada and she does a lot in terms of actually winter and fall and spring growing to help gardeners be successful. So she's been a huge resource for me for actually implementing certain practices. And then honestly, any book I can get my hands on around biodiversity, permaculture, and using flowers to create a balanced ecosystem for growing. So in Minnesota, we've got a lot of corn and soy. You don't see a lot of flower fields, especially with a lot of those larger monocrop farms. And so it's really how can we bring that biodiversity back, especially into high intensive market garden agriculture. And so just getting used to the native plants, species, all of that around has been really enlightening. So it's such an important thing for people to be figuring out. And I think that it's leaning that way a lot more. So that's a really good thing. And back to your, your first, first book about growing undercover. I've seen that one a bunch of times, but I haven't picked it up yet. So I'm glad that you mentioned it. It uh, is good. I'll have to grab that one and check it out. Yeah, it's awesome. It's totally worth a read because she's done a lot of research and her book is very well. It articulates really well how to actually grow successfully in the winter. So Nice. That's a big part of what we need here. So perfect. And last question I've got for you is, uh, if you were a plant, what plant would you be? This is a question for my 10 year old, by the way. So she it is, in my opinion, the best question so far. Oh, that's a good question. Honestly, tomatoes. Cause I think you just keep giving. What's your favorite tomato? Oh, there's nothing like a good brandy wine. A really good brandy wine is just the most flavorful, flavorful tomato you can find. Yeah, they are absolutely delicious. So perfect. Well, Matt, thank you so much for being with us here today and sharing all your knowledge on uh, microgreens. And will you let everybody know where they can find you and where they can purchase your microgreens and where they where they can find them? Yep. So I am on Instagram at springlakefarm underscore MN. You can also find me on Facebook at Spring Lake Farms MN. And then we've got a website, springlakefarmstore.com. 
And then for microgreens, I'm doing it currently on a text basis. I'll eventually move to an actual ordering system online, but either Facebook, Instagram, our emails on there as well. But if you do want to try microgreens for the first time and never tried them before and want some samples, I'm always more than happy to hand out samples because I think it is good to start to get people aware that we can have fresh local greens and vegetables all year round in Minnesota without having to buy the expensive stuff that's been sitting on a food truck for 10 days coming from California. So um, there's a lot that I post around recipes and things like that on how to use them as well on the Instagram and Facebook page. So definitely reach out if you have any questions. Yeah, I'll definitely put those in the show notes for the episode. And do you sell, do you ship or do you just sell locally or how does that work? Just so everybody's clear. Uh, I sell, I sell locally, but right now in the winter time I do deliver. So I can do that as well, depending on where, where people live. So, but I do deliver or pick up out of either where I'm growing them currently or out at the farm. So definitely different options. Awesome. Well, Matt, thank you so much for being here. And I hope everybody checks you out at Spring Lake Farm and have a great rest of your day. Hope you survive this foot of snow we're getting. Looking forward to finishing the greenhouse next week. So <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Well, have a great night, Matt. Thank you so much. See what I mean? Microgreens are just a really great thing, can be a really great thing for Minnesota gardeners to do to stay busy and to have a lot of fresh, nutrient-dense vegetables over the course of the winter. So it's a good thing for everyone to do, and we've made it really easy for you at Minnesota Gardening. You can go to minnesotagardening.com slash 13 and there you will find links and information for everything you need to purchase in order to get microgreens. So we have links to seeds, we have links to the soil and the uh, trays that you need, everything you need to get started with microgreens in a really easy package. So minnesotagardening.com slash 13. And thanks again to Matt Ahrens from Spring Lake Farm for chatting with us today all about microgreens and just sharing his great knowledge about what people need to do in order to get started growing microgreens at their house. And so thank you so much and have a great rest of your day. We'll see you in the next episode.